episode number 18, One Golden Moment Podcast, Justice Del Santos, Rory Otoy with me in the studio today. We, we, you know, we always talking about changing it up. We always talking about innovation. So not only are we changing up the little format, we changing up the sport we talking about. We ain't talking about hoops. We ain't talking about the hard one. We talking about America's pastime. So for that, we li- I like to just generally introduce the the new podcast. Not necessarily new podcast, but we we bringing baseball into the mix. This has been in the works for a while. The fact that we're seventeen games into the season's on me in terms of just general planning. But today in the studio we got Lucy Schaefer. Is that how you pronounce it, Schaefer? Yeah, you got it. All right, beautiful. I'm always cognizant of how to pronounce names, but I don't know. People have heard me talk about just general stuff for the, the past like seventeen podcasts, but you know, you tell the people. Tell the people who you are, essentially. You you a Daily Cal OG. Like, you've been here longer than yeah. me. Yeah, so. it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Lucy. Um, I'm one of the baseball writers for this semester. I am currently a senior two months away from graduation. Thank goodness. Um, I've been writing for the Daily Cal for the sports section, particularly since I was a freshman, fall freshman year. So freshman this is gang. my... Yeah, so this is my fourth year writing. Um, super excited to be on baseball. Really quick note, my voice is sound a little bit raspy right now. Um, usually it doesn't sound like this. I think it was a little combination of working for eight hours on Saturday and then doing a little St. Patrick's Day celebrating and then... <laughs> and we, we don't keep that under wraps though. We don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't keep that behind the curtains. Um, and then sitting yesterday outside for four hours watching the Cal USC game. So, thank you for having me on, Justice. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to finally get this going because as much as I love talking about basketball and I love being in the studio with Rory and Serena, baseball was actually my first love. I started playing when I was four. The only reason I didn't start playing when I was five because that's like the normal age is Mm. because, so I live in Hercules, but my mom actually had to take me to like San Pablo because that's the only league that was taking four-year-olds. And I was just like so about baseball that she was like, all right, we got to get this little dude on the field. And I played for about 10 years, including like travel ball in between high school. I'm a little curious as to what like your background is in baseball as well. Just yeah. Like how long you've been following. Yeah. So I am also a really long time baseball spectator. Um, I played a couple of years of softball in junior high, found out it's not really my sport to play, but it's my sport to watch for sure. Um, I'm originally from Chicago. Chi-town. Go Cubs. Chirac. Um, Grew up actually in Wrigleyville, so my mom took me to my first game when I was a month old, um, and I've been watching a lot of baseball ever since. I think my writing baseball this semester is a little bit of a, a dream come true for my mom because I have two little brothers. None of us actually ended up playing give, baseball. Give him a shout out on here. Give him the shout out. <laughs> give him the name drop. Go for it. Uh, my two little brothers, Greg and Reed, never ended up playing baseball um, to my mom's dismay. But I feel like I'm finally making her dreams come true by being a baseball writer. So, hi, Mom. Hope you're doing well out there. I hope you listen to this. That's always part of it, just like letting the, the parents know. I remember a couple, like when we were first in like the infancy of the basketball podcast, uh, assistant editor Emily she like she texted me one day and she was like I forgot what it was verbatim she's like my mom listened to the podcast and like she thinks she should be a radio broadcaster and you know just hearing hearing the support from the parents is always like 
I don't know, parents' compliments be hitting a little different. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I actually had an opportunity to go to Wrigley for the first time this past no summer. No What'd you think? I don't think Wrigley has, like, the title of, like, the mecca of, like, baseball in the same way that, like, Madison Square Garden has, like, the title of the mecca of basketball. But, my God, that place is beautiful. There's and I, something special about it. If you go on a sunny day... It was a, sun, a little twilight. I was sitting... Not right behind the first base, but it was like, you know how like there's that like initial row and then there's like a little gap and then there's like the next row right after. Mm-hmm. I was sitting in that next row right after. The Cubs were playing the Giants, so it was like kind of the stars line. But this is gonna be a little confession, unfortunately. Oh. So the game that I went to, Giants Cubs, happened to fall the same day as Game Six of the Western Conference Finals, Warriors Rockets. For, for my historians, that Warriors were down 3-2 in the series. And so the game, the Warriors game starts about the fifth inning of the Giants-Cubs game. So I'm just like, I just start following it on my phone. And then I see, like, the Warriors get out to, like, a really slow start. And I'm thinking, I, I like, as this is a Giants game. Like, I, I traveled all the way to Chicago to watch this game. But, like, come on, man, this is playoff basketball. So we kind of, like, leaving the sixth inning. I hate leaving games early, but... Mm. I'll take a mulligan on that. I think it was a little bit of special circumstances. You act, like you ask my mom, you ask my dad, any of my friends, baseball games, I make it a point to stay start to end. I don't care if it's a one-run game or a 16-to-1 game. I'm staying. Yeah. I'm going to just consider that special circumstances. <laughs> I've, also, like, I've also been to, in addition to Wrigley, I've been to Fenway. And I think in terms of I've like... I've never been. Fenway is so beautiful. Like, it's super old school. It's like no frill. It's... It's kind of how, like, Wrigley was before all the renovations, just no frills. pre-World Series. Super basic in the best way possible. But it's kind of, I think it's kind of a coin toss as to which is better. They're both beautiful in their own various ways. But this this isn't an MLB podcast. This is a Cal baseball podcast. And as I mentioned, we're 17 games into the season. And, you know, typically what we like to do with the base or the basketball podcast is We'll like watch a weekend worth of games and then break it down and analyze it. But because we have so many games to cover here, I think instead of breaking down in particular the USC series that just happened, sort of take a, a step back and take a macro approach and look at a lot of the broad observations that you have since this season started. I think we're about a month into the season. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about that. So I think just for a brief little summary, they're currently. Uh, nine and eight on the season, currently eighth place in the Pac-12, or rather the Pac-11, because Colorado doesn't have a baseball team. I was looking at the preseason predictions. Cal was actually slated to finish in that eighth spot, so right align with the preseason predictions. So I'm just a little curious as to what some of your overarching observations are on this season thus far, in yeah. terms of because you you mentioned that while they are nine and eight, this doesn't feel like a nine and eight team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I um, I think Cal ended very kind of middle of the pack last year in the Pac-12. Um, they lost a couple key players to the draft at the end of last year um, and retained Andrew Vaughn, who is the reigning MVP of NCAA baseball. Um, which is pretty impressive, but I think a lot of concerns going into the start of this season was 
was Andrew Vaughn going to get the backup necessary from his teammates, um, both offensively and defensively, to be able to push Cal to a higher finishing rank in the Pac-12 this year? Um, that said, the team is 9-8 and eight right now. I think if you look back into some of the past games that they've played, they could easily be 12-8 and eight or 12 and, or 13-8. Um, and eight. Because um, I think that they had a lot of moments where at the very start of the season where they were losing games by one run, you know, blowing leads and different things like that. And so I think they really do have the potential if they kind of lock down a few key parts of their offense and defense to be a much higher ranking team than they were slated at, at the preseason. Yeah, And I know that one of the concerns that was noted in – sort of the round table that you and the other baseball writers who hopefully we can get them on and we can all have like a all four of us in a room and just you know we're working out the logistics on that a little bit (laughs) but one of the concerns that I saw heading into this season was sort of the lack of just overall depth in terms of pitching and hitting and when I was looking at uh, the stats prior to this I saw that Vaughn had already drawn 20 walks and I would assume a lot of them were intentional and that puts him on pace to break, I believe, the 44 walks that he had last season, mm-hmm. which is both a blessing and a curse because, you know, you're in in that general fear, you're putting him on base, and as a result of that, his on-base percentage is a lot higher uh, this year compared to last mm-hmm. year, even considering how ridiculously astronomical it was last year. But in a way, that's sort of, that's sort of the 2004 Barry Bonds approach in a sense where we know you don't have the best backup, mm-hmm. and so we're just going to... We're going to let you take first, and we're going to deal with everybody else just because there yeah. isn't that significant level of depth at the, in the sort of the middle of the order. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one observation that I did have coming off the USC series this past weekend is that particularly in yesterday, Sunday's game, um, I believe Andrew Vaughn was walked intentionally maybe three or four times, um, and I think while that could have really shut down Cal's chances at scoring at all, um, they ended up acting really resiliently, and a lot of other unsuspected players did make big offensive plays, which I think was a bit surprising. And I think that is kind of... I think they're starting to realize that they have greater offensive depth or greater depth to their batting order than they initially thought. And so I think, given time and given time for all these young players to mature, they actually can start to pro- better provide that backup for Vaughn. Yeah. And one of the points that you mentioned before we started recording was just how incredibly young this team is. And in yeah. terms of you know wanting to establish depth and because you have so many different pieces to juggle, it's a little difficult to you know, ascertain who exactly that person is that's going to be filling out the middle of the order. And this was sort of one of the the central issues regarding the basketball team because with the basketball team like I saw there's that team had exact like no seniors whatsoever it was very underclassmen heavy I believe and the same thing is sort of happening with the baseball team so Mm -hmm. I I guess I'm just cursed to like comment on teams with like no seniors at all yeah I guess that's just the state of you know like uh, Cal Athletics in 2018 or 2018-19 at least in regards to baseball and basketball but sort of what are your you know, general thoughts on 
how that youth is performing both on the offensive side of things and particularly in the pitching staff. Yeah, well, just to provide a little more context for the listeners, the team, as Justice said, is really young. You know, I was counting it up earlier today, and there's 14 freshmen on the roster of 35 people, so they almost have half of their team being freshmen. There's not a single senior on the roster. You can count the number of juniors on on two hands. So it really is a very young team, and a lot of the every game there are new freshmen who are making their first collegiate appearances. Um, I think the biggest aspect where this has had an effect on the team is on the pitching staff. Um, so of the 14 pitchers that they have on the roster, nine are freshmen. Um, I think this means also a couple of the guys that they lost at the end of last season were pitchers, were really solid pitchers. And so I think that the effect that this has had has been they're still trying. Every game is is almost effectively a practice where they're trying to figure out who can uh, who can be those starters, who can be the relievers, who can be the closers, because right now it doesn't really appear to me that any particular pitchers are filling each of those roles. Um, and the other thing I've noticed is that there's been a lot of pitching changes. So in yesterday's game, nine-inning game, they played a total of eight different pitchers on the mound, which is a very, very high number. So I think it's been really kind of experimental. And I believe New has even been experimenting with the idea of an opener. I believe that was a thing earlier yeah. in the season. Yeah, that definitely was a bit of a thing earlier in the season. Um, there are a couple, particularly junior Armin Sabori, had been kind of pitching one or two innings at the start of a game to kind of test out the team, take away that pressure of one particular freshman having to act as the starter and then kind of ending up all the subsequent pitchers pitching for a shorter time. Um, but Armin Sabori, who's usually a reliever in that starter spot, is what kind of defines it as the opener strategy. And it's had varying levels of success for the team. Yeah. And that the whole concept of having a lot of youth is both a blessing and a curse in some senses. Yeah. Because when you do have a very youth-centered team, that allows you to not throw the record completely out the window, but sort of have the understanding that wins are kind of found money and the real thing that we should be looking towards is overall development, especially when you do have a team where it's like two-thirds, if not three-fourths underclassmen. And you can look towards the future and imagine a scenario where what once was an incredibly young team is now one of the most experienced teams in the conference. Right. But I would say the the flip side of that, at least in regards to this Cal team in particular, is that the youth's development, and by, by the time the youth completely develops and become, by, by the time that they become upperclassmen, they're not going to have one really important player, which is Andrew Vaughn, who, right. based on what I've been reading so far, is the number like the consensus number three pick in the upcoming draft. I know that it wouldn't be unheard of for him to stay another year, but as to, to refer back to basketball, as we saw with the case of Ivan Rabb, where after his freshman season he was a, a consensus lottery pick, he stays another year, now he's a second-round pick, 
I, I'm all I'm all for players getting their money and yeah, get your money, get get your millions, and then kind of moving on. I don't really exactly know what Vaughn's train of thought is here, but it's sort of that balancing act between you have one of the best players in all of college baseball, and that's an incentive to win now. But then you also don't want to do that at the detriment of the long term expense of the players who are going to be here for three and four years. Right, and and kind of how we touched on earlier, I think right now the team is learning a bit about how they can effectively back up Vaughn when he's at the plate. But if he does end up leaving after this season, which seems highly likely in my opinion, then they would have prepared themselves for a playing style that they won't necessarily need to use anymore. And so that kind of goes back to the short versus long-term strategy for the lineup. Yeah. And one of those, one of the, the, not necessarily a first-year player, but at least the last time we heard of him, it was in a, it was in a, a different context. And I'm just a little curious as to your observations on him, a Brandon McIlwain. Yeah. Because, you know, in terms of name recognition, he was part of that carousel of quarterbacks that Cal had. You know, he had, like, he had flashes, but then there was also a lot of drawbacks, and question as to what his role should be. I know that he had been experimenting even with other positions. And heading into this season, I didn't really know what to expect out of McIlwain. I know that he had played at South Carolina before transferring, but his appearances were very limited. But now you see him in terms of what he's been able to do in such, uh, granted, small sample size alert, but what he's been, how he's been able to produce thus far, I think that's just generally encouraging because that's a it's sort of like a found money situation in which, while not necessarily a freshman, he's someone that has immediately been able to contribute right from the jump. Yeah, yeah. I think it's been really exciting for everyone, um, all the loyal fans, friends, family who are super familiar with the team, um, to see McIlwain do some surprising things at the start of the season. I mean, he had his... We were just looking it up before this podcast. He probably made 10 appearances at the plate during his time at South Carolina. Um, And already this season, he's made probably 30, 40 appearances at bat for Cal. So I think he really kind of just got thrown into the lion's den in a sense where he, you know, went from not really being kind of a, a backup on the lineup to being one of the core people. Um, I think he's been he's made some really big contributions. Um, he had his second home run of the season yesterday or sun, this past Sunday. Um, yeah, it's been really exciting to see him kind of thrive in a different in a different sport than when you're when that we're used to seeing him in. Yeah. And someone that I also that sort of jumped out to me in in the way that he's been producing this season was Cameron Eden. Because mm-hmm. if you remember back to his sophomore year, like he had a very promising freshman year. I think he hits 315 and then gets hit with like a really bad case of the sophomore slump. But now he's essentially emerged into the closest thing to that Vaughn has to legitimate protection in the lineup. And I think I, when I was looking at some mock drafts as well, I think he's projected to be like a third-round talent, you know, a little bit of a blend of, you know, ability to hit for contact and hit for power. I think if I remember right, he's his career high is six home runs, and I think he's on pace for nine or ten. And 
what have you seen out of like Eden in particular that's allowed him to make that jump from a, a really not detrimental sophomore season but a, ver- a slump in a sense to allowing him to sort of have his breakout season yeah well the way I'm viewing Cameron Eden's performance is really kind of him being pushed a little bit out of necessity into the role that he's filling on the batting order um, in that he is one of these few juniors I mentioned that are on the team that makes him one of the most senior people on the team at this point. Um, I think he's recognizing and oh, and the coaches are recognizing that they don't exactly know what to think about all the different freshmen as batters and so I think he's in part being kind of forced into the spotlight again he's risen to the challenge um i think he's been doing some really good things offensively um on the field he's been playing as a right fielder um got given a couple kind of hard balls to get to yesterday um and so i would say definitely his strength remains in his batting but i think he kind of got just thrust into this more central position this year because he he needed to kind of act as a role model or act as a more senior person on a team where there technically are no seniors. Yeah. And I know that obviously Eden isn't the only player who's improved from, specifically among the juniors who has improved from last year and this season. Is there anybody else who has sort of caught your eye in regards to a year to year jump in terms of production? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I mean, I I think that there are a couple people who have also been filling some key, pretty key roles um, in the batting order this year versus last. Um, one person that comes to mind for me is, is uh, Junior Max Flower. He is another outfielder who has been kind of forced into this kind of important position and he is another one that really has kind of risen to the challenge he had he has a lot of grit uh in my opinion he made this kind of sliding catch on this pop fly yesterday to end the game finally when the ninth inning was going on for so long um so I think he definitely has the grit and the attitude and I think that that has been showing a bit more this season than last um, to really kind of amp the team up because I think they need that, you know, that that energy. And speaking of amping the team up, you were mentioning before we started recording uh, Corey Lee from yesterday's game. Yeah. And uh, you, you want to just uh, explain what exactly happened during <laughs> the game on Sunday? Yeah, so the game was pretty crazy. Um, I interviewed both Sean Sullivan, who was a freshman who was a freshman pitcher and head coach Mike New yesterday after the game. They both said almost word for word, that's one of the crazier games I've ever been a part of. Um, the game itself was uh, almost four hours long. And take that Rob Manfred. <laughs> and there really was not a lot of offensive action being generated until the fifth inning where McElwain had his great uh, homer and then um, 
and then Cameron Eden followed him closely with another homer, and that kind of jump-started the action. Um, But speaking particularly of Max Flower and Corey Lee, um, yesterday during, I think it was the fifth inning, I think it was the fifth inning, um, Corey Lee was on second base, Max Flower was batting, he hits this double that, that bats Corey Lee in, Corey Lee runs in, tears off his helmet, everyone's kind of jumping around him, congratulating him, um, and then the ump calls for a review of the play, and they end up calling this RBI double that Flower had hit a foul ball. And so Lee had to return to second base, and Flower returned and kept batting with, I think it might have been a full count at that point. Um, And so people were kind of on edge about that, and there was a lot of, you know, college scandal-related shade being thrown by fans, you know. Oh, the USC's, like, admission scandal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, like... Um, how much are they paying you? How much are those people <laughs> paying you? I was sitting right in the parents section too, which I, since the Daily Cal writers don't get a spot in the press box, and I realized that Yo. sitting by the parents is the is the place to be for baseball though, because you hear all the juice. You can just eavesdrop and kind of get all this info. <laughs> I pretty sure I was sitting right next to Sean Sullivan's mom for all of it, so she was excited. But to finish the story, what ended up happening is. As soon as Flower got back to the plate, the first pitch he was thrown when he was resuming batting, the first pitch he was thrown hit him right in the head. And so he was walked, he was mad, he took off his helmet, threw it on the ground, walked over to first base, and Corey Lee said something, something extremely inflammatory to the pitcher. Because he then ended up getting ejected from the game they did not count that as um, an out. He was just ejected, and they put in um, a designated runner um, in his place. And then um, what happened then is Corey Lee is the catcher. The designated hitter, Cole Elvis, ended up needing to fill in, because he is the backup catcher, also ended up needing to fill in for Corey Lee, meaning that they all pitchers from then on had to bat for themselves. Um, And so what ended up happening shortly thereafter was um, the pitcher who was pitching at the time, Sean Sullivan, ended up going up to the plate and hitting a home run, like a two-run homer. and Ban the DH. (laughs) And uh, completely stunning everybody, including his mom, who I'm – could have sworn I was sitting right next to. She was, like, almost crying. Um, So it was a really exciting game. Cole Elvis ended up having a moment in the spotlight, too. He hit his own three-run homer in the seventh or eighth inning, um, which brought Cal up to their nine runs um, that they ended the game with. But just all that kind of switching around, Lee getting ejected, um two extremely unlikely players both making key offensive plays and ultimately being the reason why Cal was able to win that game. Um, And then 
Cal kind of almost, almost blowing that lead of, <laughs> um, in the ninth inning until um, the closing pitcher, Henriksen, was able to force some pop flies in the infield fly rule, and Max Flower dove and caught that ball at the very end to finally end this four-hour game. But it was pretty – it was – it was a pretty exciting game to watch. Much more exciting than the 1-0 loss that Cal faced on Saturday. It sounds like the perfect cap to a a crazy week that saw Aunt Becky. Just, Aunt, oh. Becky's, Aunt Becky's like a bag mom, and then USC's under scandal. And then, like, just between all that, that sounds like the just the perfect ending to a, a ridiculous week. Yeah. And just to the point of Corey Lee, and just, I guess this is a larger point on baseball in general... What was that? What was that commercial that they, that Ken Griffey Jr. had before the playoffs? It was like let the kids play, like let. The, I'm just a fan in general in baseball of like swagger. I'm pro bat flipping. I'm pro rocking the chains. I'm pro earrings. I'm like pro any swagger. Like I'm pro hot take. I'm pro neon sleeve. I don't even know if that's allowed in the NCAA, but I'm pro that. Like so, and I think if if we go back in like the. To, to switch back to basketball again, one of my favorite just players from a personal perspective is Matt Bradley. Not because of, like, he he is a he's a great player, but one of the my favorite things about him is just the fire he plays with. Mm-hmm. And there was this one possession, it was, it was against San Diego State way back in December. He blocks someone, I think he gets called for a foul, and the player that he blocks kind of hits the deck. And then he just stares at him, like, with just such an intensity. And I'm like, Matt is about to murk this dude right now. And sometimes he'll be like, John with the refs. And I'm like, I, especially in college, I just love players who, because, like, you know, you don't see it as much in college as opposed to professionals because the egos aren't as catered yet. But I just love seeing yeah. players who, like, play with that fire and are willing to, like, even if it comes with an ejection to just, like, put put themselves on the line to sort of spark the team because I forgot I forgot who did it which manager but I remember that was kind of his tactic he was like whenever his team needed a jump and he needed a spark he would intentionally like get in the face of an umpire just to spark the team just for that burst of energy yeah I'm not saying get ejected every game I am (laughs) as much as I am pro pro fire I am pro you know actually getting your at-bats and getting your reps but I think just with the the grit that you described in in the catch or with um i believe it was flower and then with Corey, i think just in jump for an incredibly young team it's good to have that that swagger that camaraderie that yeah. build that like togetherness yeah and i guess like one more one more like illusion well back to if the i could add team. something really quick yeah, on that point it. as well it another thing that i also think is really fun about the team is that mike knew himself is not afraid to get in the face of the ump um he will he's always out there he was out there defending Corey when Corey was about to get ejected when the the home opener that Cal played against St. Mary's he got ejected from that game Mike knew um and so I think going along with just the what you said about managers also needing to have a little fire to kind of amp the team up I think in a lot of ways um New also kind of acts as a acts as a um, an amp up for the team, you know. Like instigates it a little bit. Yeah. 
I think I told you and the other baseball writers this already, and this is just like an example of how crazy life is. But back when I was in middle school and I was playing travel ball for the Walnut Creek Bulldogs, shout out to Dub C. Um, <laughs> Mike New was actually my travel ball coach, which is when I found out that he had taken the job here at Cal, I kind of had to do like not even a double take, I had to do a triple take, and I was like, wait, like, the same dude, and I was like, reading the bio, and I was like, coach at DVC, coach at Pacific, was a minor league pitcher, and I was like, word, and so, like, when I, like, I'm not gonna front, when I interviewed him for the first time last year, I was, like, too, like, gun shy to say, hey, do you remember me, <laughs> like, and I, like, I think, like, we both knew it, but, like, we didn't acknowledge it, but I think it's just, like, thinking back to just personal memories of when he was my travel ball coach. He definitely had that intensity, that fire. I remember one time in particular, we were doing, I think we, we were doing that drill where it's like you have live runners and then like an infield. And then the coach is like, I think, what is it? I think it's called like 18 outs or something like that. And he really wanted to stress regardless like of where a ball is hit, it could be like a 500 foot moonshot or it could be like a shallow pop fly when you're on third and less than two outs you like immediately go back to the bag and to really emphasize that point he took a like when we were practicing he took a ball hits it as far as possible and says i don't care if it's that far you still got a tag and i was just like yo <laughs> but you know just personal memories i know that mike new is a very like he's a very charismatic like coach yeah i think he's really good for this young cal team you know, while the record may not reflect the growth that they have both in this year and last year, I think just, you know, based on personal experience, he does seem like the perfect candidate for this job, especially to take this team into the post-Esker era. Yeah, yeah. I think he has the patience for it, too. You know, it seems like he's really kind of, when I was talking to him yesterday, he just seemed really, he wasn't down on the team at all. He seemed really excited about the potential that the young team has, and it seems like he he really likes being a coach. He likes when people learn things from him, and so I think that attitude combined with patience is exactly what he needs to be able to actually work effectively with all these freshmen. I got you. So we're about at the 35-minute mark here, so typically we like we wrap these up around the 40-minute mark. And I think just to, to get a little more micro and, for, and just focus on going ahead, I think we should just look at the schedule going forward and just some general thoughts on we have for this upcoming week. They play San Francisco tomorrow, which by the time that we publish this, it will actually be Tuesday. And then they have probably their most challenging, if not like second or third most challenging series of the season against Oregon State reigning 2018 College World Series champions. What are you sort of looking forward to, or what do you want to see out of this upcoming week, especially how we've been mentioning the youth and how they sort of approach this matchup against such a juggernaut of a baseball team? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the really the main thing that Cal is going to have to use this upcoming week to figure out is what pitching strategy they're going to use. You know, they they kind of proved in Sunday's game against SC that a variety of people can make hits, a variety of people can go forward and be successful offensively. I think the reason why Cal almost 
kind of jeopardized their win on Sunday was due to struggles with pitching at the very end in the ninth inning. I think they made two pitching changes within that inning alone. Um, and I think that the upcoming game on Tuesday against San Francisco is going to be kind of their final um, live rehearsal of what sort of pitching strategies they can use for OSU because OSU is not going to give them any breaks, as we know. Um and I think really it's gonna all come down to have they figured it out pitching wise? Are they gonna try the opener strategy again or are they gonna go for something more traditional? I don't know. Um, but I think it's really gonna be that that makes the difference. I know that Oregon State did lose a lot of top end talent from last year, this year specifically. Nick Madrigal, who I think was selected number three overall as well, but still one of the top-end teams in the Pac-12, still one of the most fearsome offensive teams in the Pac-12. And I think we've kind of been alluding to this, but we never really said it super explicitly, was while, like, for all of the, the depth concerns, I would say it's, it sways more to the pitching staff side of it as opposed to the offense because when you have someone like Vaughn, like it's a lot hard to it's a lot harder to like carry the team in, in baseball as opposed to in basketball. But when you have someone who sort of generates that much attention and you know it's the odds of him reaching base are the it's you have worse odds of a coin flip than him reaching on base at this point. Mm-hmm. But I would say that kind of sways to more towards pitching in terms of the the depth concerns and. To go against a team of this nature, now obviously they have like Arizona State sort of a little further down on the docket, but I am interested to see like what approach they they do take against an Oregon State team of this caliber, and especially because this is their first true road trip of the season and how they respond. And part of the reason that I always like young teams, and this was sort of the case with Cal basketball as well, is that there's a little bit of that we don't know any better attitude they haven't been completely humbled yet, but mm-hmm. it's sort of like that. It's a combination of arrogance and swagger and, you know, a little bit of ignorance in there just to be like, you know, we're young, we're going to come out here, we're going to come out guns a blazing, you don't mean anything to us, that type of attitude. And I think that's sort of the general trend that I want to monitor as this season goes along. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a bit of a unique challenge for Cal to be facing OSU so early in conference play because I think based on you know USC they they came away from that series one Cal came away from the SC series one and two and SC going into that had a five and ten record um and so I think that that already kind of might give a little um premonition of some kind of issues particularly because Particularly speaking, because they were at home and they and they did face these struggles, so I think the fact that they're playing OSU so early in the season and away is gonna be particularly challenging. Because as I said, they haven't really figured out what they're doing pitching wise yet, and I think that if OSU had been pushed back to late April, mid late April, once they've gotten a couple other conference series under their belts, that can kind of help build up their confidence then I would I would be a little less worried for them. But I think, as you say, it is going to – hopefully that, that young blood, that 
that little tinge of ignorance and excitement will just make him come out guns blazing. Well, I guess we'll see how it goes, and hopefully when we record the next podcast, both will have Max and Joey with us, and then hopefully we got a little... We got some wins to talk about. It's it's a different vibe with, with baseball. I'm going to say that right now because mm-hmm. Cal baseball has already won more games in like in one month than Cal men's basketball did all season. So I think that's definitely just from like from personally, it's a different change of pace. Hopefully it's not a situation, at least in terms of this, week, we're talking about four losses. But we shall see on the next episode. Until next time, Justin Del Santos, Lucy Schaefer. Thank you so much for having me. Peace.